Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander, and this is Majority 54. Uh, and here's here's the situation, folks. I'm going to skip over the regular intro, and I'm just going to tell you that it is uh, 8.54 Central, uh, which is 9.54 Eastern. This race has not been called yet, but you know what? We figured people are anxious, so we're going to record a pod, and uh, you know we, we've got some voicemails uh, that we're going to play. Uh, and and respond to for all people's anxiety out there. But, you know, Robbie, let's do the usual thing where you tell the people exactly what's going on right now. Yeah, uh, we were going to start with Trump's speech, but let's start on a positive note. We're about to defeat uh, an incumbent, which doesn't happen very often. So it's only happened four times in the past 100 years. So it's Hoover in 32, Ford in 76, Carter in 80, and then Bush in 92. And, and you might not even want to count Carter because that was wasn't even an elected president that he was defeating. And we're going to do it and with a pretty sizable margin. So we always think about Reagan beating Carter as like a like a, a butt whooping, um, which he only won with 50.7% of the vote. And we're likely going to surpass that. You know, Nate, Nate Silver is talking about how he thinks that we're going to win the popular vote by 4 to 5%. It could be as high as 6%. Um, that's two to three times what Hillary won it by. Um, we are looking at a map right now where uh, Arizona and Nevada uh, look likely for us. Uh, Nevada, I would say extremely likely. Uh, Pennsylvania looks likely for us. Georgia. Uh, Georgia. Georgia could could pull I'm ahead. I'm so pumped about Georgia. Yeah, it could pull ahead right in the middle of this conversation. Uh, so, and that's freaking incredible. Uh, can, I, can I just, let me, can I say something about Georgia real quick? Uh, I, I texted... Uh, my friend Stacey Abrams, our friend Stacey Abrams, uh, this morning, and I and I said something like, "Damn it, did you go and all by yourself just pick up a southern state and put it on your shoulders and carry it like Buddy?" I think I said, "Buddy, carry it across into the blue column to save America." And uh, she, she she was very sweet. She texted me back with a little help from my friends, uh, but like, that's what she did. Like, Wonderful. And, 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 and I just want to, I want to, I want to dwell on this for a second because like, you know, a lot of people run for office. Ravi and I, we meet a lot of people who want to run for office, like a lot of people, right? And you don't meet a lot of people who are like, I want to run for office and I'm willing to put in the, it's like, not, I want to run for office. It's, I want to build something and make change. And, and running for office may be a part of that, but that's what Stacy has done. She's like, uh, years ago, I'm going to build something in Georgia, and uh, I've known her a lot of years, and I've watched the whole thing, and I'm just really proud of her. I'll let you go back to telling people the situation, but I just wanted to say that. No, it's just, uh, 
you know, as we said the other day, what was that yesterday? It feels like a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to win. Uh, we're going to win the presidency and we're going to, uh, in all likelihood have, uh, two Senate runoffs, uh, as we talked about yesterday, which means that the Senate's in play in a state that we may have just flipped democratic. Uh, and there's this mythology out there that Democrats perform poorly in midterm elections and in referenda, which has traditionally been true or not referenda, um, special elections, uh, which has traditionally been true, but that trend has been uh, potentially reversed in the Trump era, uh, partially because our coalition has changed to more college educated uh, and more um, high information voters as we talk about them. Now, this is an untested theory that I'm giving, but it's one, I'm obviously Mr. Optimism, but I think that based on the 2018 versus 2020 results, we have some good evidence to think that we could perform really well in a special election. Well, here's the other really interesting element of that, right? Is that there's, you know, there will be no getting around the idea that that election is going to be for who controls the United States Senate, period. Like, that's what, the, you know, lots of elections, I've been in one where it's like, this could, no, no, no. This will be like, which party do you want to control the United States Senate? And I'll tell you a couple of things that's interesting about that. One, we've been becoming an increasingly parliamentary-ish system, right? Like, we've it's been so rare it, to the point where it hasn't happened where the you know in a presidential year where where the president uh and and the senate candidate differ in a state right it just doesn't happen now so the question will be like will the party try and do the old game like the party being like the candidates and the consultants try and do the old game where you pretend you're you're super independent and you know i don't know you know what i'll do when i get there in terms of majority leader or will we just do what i think we should do which is just lean you know look i'm sure that i know i know john and ralph i'm sure they have opinions that differ from from joe biden and when when that's the case they should say so but we also should just lean into it and be like look it's been a mess and and we fierce you know forcefully and unapologetically make our argument that yeah you want to get some stuff fixed quickly like just send us both there and, and i think that's the i think that's the move and and biden has some cards to play now um as the uh the president elect soon to be uh he can uh really he can craft an agenda and and specifically go down to georgia and communicate to the people of georgia about how it's going to help them uh and obviously i'm sorry uh kansas city residents that was a joke on twitter about the mahomes mandate but uh i I was joking that, you know, high speed rail in Georgia. Oh, you missed this. I said that, yeah. you know, Biden's going to create a federal mandate that um, we, we trade Mahomes to the Falcons and high speed rail from Atlanta, every city, and tax breaks for residents of Georgia. But in reality, he doesn't even have to be. I'm trying to decide whether I would be cool with parting with Mahomes to <laughs> get the United States be. Senate. I think Look, I, would, doing... I would do it for my country, but I would need a minute afterwards. I'll throw in Josh need... Allen, too. Back up. I also, by the way, would. I think it would it would pretty well demonstrate that I wasn't trying to get elected to anything here. Like, you know, I mean, like one day I might want to be mayor. I don't know, but it, that would close I off that possibility. I could see what you just said in an attack ad soon. Yeah. But in all seriousness, I don't even think he has to be crass about it. I think a lot of what he already has on his agenda, he can communicate to Georgia, but he could specifically go down there and say, my infrastructure package, this is what it would mean for you. My COVID relief bill, this is what it would mean for you. Um, he could have salt. Uh, he could communicate the salt deductions, et cetera, in ways that uh, speak specifically to the suburbs. Uh, and we can also watch as Republicans gear up to obstruct the agenda uh, and use that to motivate people about what united government could mean for our country. Uh, yeah, an argument for unified government as opposed to this usual thing where we 
sort of just implicitly accept the idea that divided government and a lack of action is good? I mean, and as you're speaking, interesting. As you're speaking, I'm going to pull up the 2022 map because uh, this seems like a good time to talk about this. Yeah, we were just texting about this yesterday. Robbie was like, "Hey, I was looking at the 2022 map uh, because we were talking about all the things to be optimistic about, and so we wanted to share this with everybody." Uh, I I'll, I'll be honest. I hadn't even looked at it. I hadn't had a chance. So you're going to educate me at well, the same time. I mean, obviously, if you're running Missouri, you don't have to worry about the other Senate seats. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, <laughs> Why would you? That's, that's what the that's Everybody, what the, everybody, that's everybody what does that to me, but not you, No, I'm man. kidding. That's I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, all right. So here's the deal. If you look at the seats that Democrats are defending in 2022, I may regret saying this, but there's not a whole lot of defense we got here. So we got Maryland, New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, Connecticut, New Hampshire, New Illinois. Hampshire could always be something. Yeah, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, Illinois, you know, is always you got to work for that. Col- Colorado, yeah. we should be okay, but you always work for that too. Nevada, yeah. Nevada will be interesting always, mm-hmm. but but still should tilt in our favor. California, Oregon, and Washington. That's our defense. The Republicans, on the other hand, so so I think two two that could possibly two to three that could be competitive there. Two to three, but not like really tough for us we're not talking about south dakota north dakota it's not heidi high camp you know right uh but they've got to defend florida which i know we we're not feeling you know we're feeling a little burnt by uh north carolina with with burr who has a huge scandal that mm-hmm. he's gonna have to defend uh pennsylvania with toomey uh ohio with portman Rand paul in kentucky which will be tough uh ron johnson in wisconsin which is going to be a really good race for us uh, Grassley in Iowa, which will always be tough if he decides to run again. Well, and I, th- I think he already hasn't he already said he's not. Oh, that's right. I can't remember. Yeah, so yeah. maybe we can get Greenfield out there again, who I thought was mm-hmm. a good candidate. Or Rob uh, Sand. Or Rob, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Moran in, in Kansas, uh, and then um, oh, we're I also going to be I don't defending. Think Moran's, maybe he's running again. Anyway, oh, but go, keep we going. do have to add uh, Arizona to the mix because it was a special. I didn't realize that. So, uh, oh yeah, so that's the McSally seat. Yeah. So that's another defense, but I feel good about that one. It's not bad. Okay, look, you're all it's 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 uh, in light speed right now, where you're hearing from people uh, all sorts of crazy misinformation because it is coming from the president. The president, as we were all watching it together, a lot of us on the internet and and talking about it via Twitter, but uh, he gave a prepared speech, rare. Uh, and seemed to be rather tired and not as into it as he normally is. But he talked about uh, how basically the election is being stolen from him. He talked about legal versus illegal votes without describing the distinction. He um, seemed to uh, blame big media, uh, big money and big tech, as he talked about it, stealing this election from him Um, and went through just a kind of somehow was rambling even in a written speech but in a way where he was just basically claiming that this thing's stolen from him. And uh, as many people have pointed out, uh, he has not explained how he both thinks that votes being continued to be counted in places like Pennsylvania and Michigan is bad, but it's good to continue counting votes in Arizona. Um, he also like misleadingly or just completely incorrectly said that the Georgia authorities are democrats actually the georgia secretary of state is a republican not that it should matter he i mean he had a whole lot of bad stuff uh and you know it would be easy it, a lot of the commentary on twitter was just basically like you know saying goodbye to him and 
pointing out how low energy he was and not into it, which is true. But while he was going through this exercise, I was also looking at a lot of his supporters. And, and on the pod yesterday, I had pointed out that people like Ben Shapiro were drawing a hard line about not endorsing the president's um, bullshit. Uh, bullshit on the election. But yeah. they are now fully, some of them are fully now on board supporting this. Ben being one of them, Scott Adams being another one, Ted Cruz being another one, Holly. Uh, and um, well, they've been they've been warned, right? I mean, yeah. they've been warned by the Trumps, like get on board or there will be consequences. And I'd just like to add that that affects people in the media too. People don't understand sometimes that it, that on the right and to some extent on the left, the the consumers, uh, the customer of media and the constituent of you know hard right politicians, they're the same. So you know, Fox has a lot of the same pressures, uh, the, and and Shapiro has a lot of the same pressures. Yeah, yeah, and. I'm worried about this. Not be, I'm not worried that they're going to steal the presidency from us. Uh, but I'm just worried when I look at, you know, my father, for instance, every time I sit down with my father and, and listeners, you may have the same experience. He's always telling me to read Scott Adams' books, right? And and, and look at Scott Adams', uh, his video, whatever things he puts out into the world. And I don't watch the videos, but I read the book when big... That's the uh, Dilbert guy, right? Yeah. Um, and he's like one of those intellectuals, like he's like intellectual about Trumpism and kind of tries to intellectualize his way uh, through a lot of the contradictions of Trump. And if you go to Adams's Twitter feed, it is straight crazy. Like it is it is just they're stealing this election from us. We need all these independent systems for verification. Even if it's on a live feed, they're trying to steal it from us on the live feed. It's just nuts. And it's easy to just dismiss it. But literally every time i sit down with my father he parrots this stuff and so i think that's what you listeners are dealing with uh and it's freaking depressing uh and that's what i'm worried about is that now they have a new grievance politics we we will have defeated them now but obviously trumpism continues and the conspiratorial thinking from his side continues and that's you know why this podcast continues well yeah and and i'm just i think the part that saddens me and enrages me about it is just the immense damage that it does to us culturally and to our democracy, right? I mean, and it's, it's I guess, cliche, and I've said it before, but it's really how I felt watching that, which is, you know, I was willing to give my life for the country and for the idea of democracy. And then this, this guy just so regularly and so casually just steps all over democracy and does such enormous damage to it. But what I try to remind everybody of is that, there's going to be a ton of rebuilding and, and, and continual fighting that we're going to have to do because of the Trump years and because of what he does and his family does in the future and the part their party does in the future. But one of those things is no longer defeat him in this election. We've already done that and everybody needs to remember that. Um, now, that said, that brings us to we, you know, we want to address the things that people are specifically hearing out there. So are we ready for the first voicemail, you think? Hey, Jason and Robbie. My name is Jason Davis, and I uh, live here in good old Casey Mo. And uh, the, what I'd like to hear you guys talk about and help us out with is just how do we talk about the conspiracies that I'm already seeing online about Trump was ahead, Trump was winning, and now all of a sudden they're fighting this mysterious vote and trying to show that this election was stolen from Trump when we all know that this is just the process and how it works. Like, how do we combat that? And how do we have those discussions with people that just want to believe the conspiracy theories? Thanks a lot. Hope you guys have a great day. 
there's a couple of things. Um, one is there are Republicans who've actually been really good on this, uh, even though I was talking about uh, some who are not. And often it's just best to hear from other Republicans, even though like they will quickly be discredited amongst the right. But some of them, uh, Larry Hogan, Adam Kinzinger, Rick Santorum was on CNN, and I was surprised, but he he called out Trump for this. But the best is a tweet that I'll, I'll find and retweet from Charlie Dent, and I'll read it to you. Uh, and this is the kind of stuff you want to share is, President Trump's White House statement tonight about voter fraud in Pennsylvania, and this is a Pennsylvania representative uh, who's retiring, of course, uh, was simply yeah. was, was simply reprehensible. Truth is, he suppressed his own vote by discouraging mail-in voting, self-inflicted damage, and political malpractice. Now, this may seem like, oh, he's a retiring member of Congress. It doesn't matter. But as we saw in Arizona with Jeff Flake and, and the McCain family, when you add these things up, um, and especially local voices, they really matter. But, you know, in addition to what I talked about, um, uh, in addition to that, the stuff I talked about earlier is important. You know, point out, like, ask people to explain why Arizona vote counting that continues is okay, or Nevada, but not uh, the states where Biden is ahead. Point out to them that, you know, if they stopped the vote counting today, Biden would win. Just make these simple points and ask people simple questions. And... Uh, the good news, listeners, is that, you know, unless you're living in Georgia, we have a little bit of breather room to have these conversations and to walk people off of the ledge. Um, so, OK, I've been all day kind of looking forward to this because I'm a former secretary of state and this is something I know. That's about. right. And, you know, I always forget that about you. <laughs> it's all right. And so, like, as I've been watching uh, this crap the last few days, I just, you know, it's driving me a little bit crazy. And, and so I have a few things that I want to give people to, to reply to this with. Um, and some of this is not original to me. Uh, Jake Tapper had a pretty good little rant that he went on earlier. By the way, Jake Tapper has been absolutely ridiculous off the charts. Great tonight. Jake is clearly like gotten pretty irritated and just had it with this. But I mean, I think that happened years ago, but, but anyway, so Jake, uh, pointed this out and, and that was that, um, you know, this idea that uh, the Republicans had this great night uh, all over the place, um, but there's one Republican who got screwed and got cheated out of. I mean, that seems like a very odd conspiracy. And it seems like if that were true, Republicans would need to be a part of it. Another thing to point out to people is that in every single spot where they're counting votes, everywhere in the country, there's a Republican and a Democrat sitting there doing it. And I'm not talking like at the top levels, I'm talking like at the lowest level, that's that's how it works. Another piece that people need to understand um, is that this observer thing. All right, these observers are like, and they're like, we want them to be close. We want them to be able to touch the ballots. The observer has no authority, like in any situation. The observer is literally just a witness to be in there, being like, "Yep, the room did not light on fire." That's the that's the role of an observer. All of this, all of these lawsuits about observers and everything else, they have one thing that is the objective, and it is in. In the law, we learned like in law school and, and in my case, in the practice, right, of the concept of dilatory. You're just slowing it down. That's all you're doing. All of these states have dates by which their, their state law says they have to certify the election. And this is all what it's been is, is trying to run the 2000 Florida game plan, which is stretch this out and take as much time as possible, stop the vote for as long as possible, so that then you reach the certification deadline, and then the Supreme Court can throw up its hands and go, oh, we took too long. It has to be certified. Now you can't count those votes. That's what they're trying to do. But the reason that's not going to work, by the way, so people don't get nervous, is because 
we already have the lead in enough places to where you can't run that play anymore. Yeah. So, oh, and to pause on that front, like the, if you compare it to Florida, the reason why the Republicans were one of the reasons why they were successful in 2000 in Florida is they already had the lead. So if they they run out the clock, as you talk about, they what that's exactly what happened in 2000. They ran out the clock, and they ran out the clock while they were ahead. The other thing that was true of Florida, and um, and I forget his name, Ginsburg, I think is his name, uh, the Republican lawyer uh, who did Florida in 2000. He was on TV the other day and was saying, you know, the other thing that was different between 2000 and Florida and today is that we were consistent across the country. So if we went to one federal court uh, and we're, we're asking for one thing, we made sure that we were consistent in another one because ultimately these things can make their way all the way up to the Supreme Court. They're completely contradicting themselves across the country saying, you know, as I talked about earlier, count here, but don't count there. This count is bad. This count is good. They're not even trying to be consistent. And 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 here's to me one of the biggest ones. And this is what, because really all these arguments, they're not, the arguments that people are having with you, they're not about what's in the news right now. They're not even about really what they're hearing much on Fox News because I was watching some Fox News today and even they're being, for them, kind of cautious about endorsing what the president's saying. They're basically going, hey, you know, if you have proof, like you should maybe produce it, but I'm not sure it would change the I margins, hope, I right? I hope that holds. I hope that Yeah, holds. I mean, well, then what they do is then they go over and they say, oh, now we'll hear from like the, this crazy uh, opinionated <laughs> yeah. person, but then we'll go back to the news. Right. So, but here's the piece that, because this is really a larger ide- ide- ideological argument because they genuinely believe that we just cheat in all elections. Um, and, and here's what you ask them. You say, look, uh, you are a Republican partially because you believe that government is not very effective. You you tend to think that Democrats in particular are very ineffective in government, that, that we don't run it competently, the, you know, that that's, that's one of your big objections, right? And they'll say yes. And you say, so explain to me how across an entire nation, all of these secretaries of states and county recorders, county auditors, county clerks, all of these Democrats, and in some cases Republicans as well, got together and created this massive widespread fraud and did not leave any evidence of it. Like, how did they do that? How did these people who are yeah, apparently so incompetent... Yeah, but we can't so win the freaking Senate, right? But we can't <laughs> win the Senate. Yeah, or the state you know? legislatures. We we forgot, we forgot a few things, or we were I guess we were trying to make it look good. Like, I don't understand. But we're ninjas when it comes to stealing just surgically presidential just the votes. presidency. Yeah, yeah presidential yeah. votes where there's the most scrutiny... That's where we pulled it off, but but we can't make a healthcare website work, right? Like like ask them that. That's the first thing. I'm gonna keep going. The next thing you gotta explain is elections in America are are highly decentralized, and a lot of people don't know this. The Secretary of State doesn't count the votes, right? They don't. The, the The votes are counted at the very local level, and there's multiple levels that go up. So there are so, so many like, people. You're saying like you're like the the bad guys in John Wick. Like you have like so many layers when you're Secretary of State of fraudsters. That you you would have to years. you would have to have yeah. so I'm many people that. in on this from the top to the bottom. Um, that okay, but but here's here's to me the real one, which is okay. All of this assumes because all the stuff they're saying, where they're like, "Oh, they have a you know a big bag full of ballots," or they stuff the all this stuff. Just say to somebody, when you go in to vote, you they they look at the list. Like you give them your name, and they look at the list, and they say, "Oh, okay, John Doe voted, Jane Doe voted, right?" And they keep track of everybody who they don't keep track of how you voted. They keep track of 
who voted. And then when they do the canvas before they certify, this is how it works, before you certify the results, I'm not talking about the news networks calling it. I'm talking about what will happen in a couple weeks or, or in some cases longer in some states. When they certify it, they go back and they go, okay, in this precinct, there were 114 votes. Let's look and make sure that there were 114 people who were actually on the list who, who it says we got their ballot. Now, the reason that the whole voter fraud thing, the, the big smoking gun that shows it's such bullshit, is that they always do this whole, well, you know, I heard that they found these ballots in a bag and all this stuff that gets debunked. You know what they never, ever do? They never, ever say, this is Mike. The voter rolls say Mike voted. Mike, did you vote? And Mike's like, nope, didn't vote. That never happens because By the, the way, numbers match up. By the way, I'm shocked they haven't done it like where Mike actually is just one of their people just lying. who votes. Yeah, like why hasn't that happened yet? I guess they they have checks in the system for that. But but that's yeah. it. That's yeah. how you know it's not real yeah. because if because you you can't just put a ballot in there. It has to match an actual name on the list that's on the voter roll, or they or they look at it and go, wait a minute there's an additional ballot and then they and then it doesn't count right it has to match a name of somebody who is written down as having actually voted uh finally these are our neighbors these are these are just that's who runs these elections at the local level when you walk in those people they're just volunteers they're just your neighbors i don't know what they're in on this big conspiracy for um yeah let's and, yeah on anyway. that point on the neighbors by the way and this is probably a good transition to our next question uh and while you tee it up i was in staten island yesterday and Staten Island is a Obama-Trump district that we flipped in 2018 Democratic with Max Rose and that he is uh, on track to lose pretty significantly, it seems like. Uh, and in my neighborhood, there were not just uh, Trump signs and, anti and, and pro Malitakis, uh signs, who's Max Rose's opponent. There were signs, and I put some of these on my Instagram, that were so vicious and insane attacking Max Rose on every quarter uh and i remember sitting in a diner with my mom and i was overwhelmed by my neighbors the, the neighborhood that i walked not only like spent my entire childhood in i know like you i walk past houses i know people's names i know who lived there before them um i wrote a tv show about uh that neighborhood it's so much i love it uh and it was scary uh how just caustic it had become and uh you know living amongst the people who we've now like from a national level become divided in a community that was very tight-knit and it makes me worry uh and it makes me worry that the, the 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 mascots for my neighbors are people like madison cawthorn uh who when he wins instead of turning around and saying you know if you voted for me or not i'm with you which is what biden has said and will continue to say after he wins he said cry more lib after he won uh or malia takas the person who won in my district who gave her entire victory speech was essentially about how republican values won on staten island a district that she knows has been flipping back and forth for years so this and is the max, challenge. max by the way who is a combat veteran and a purple heart recipient right you know and they're and they're just attacking like he's the enemy yeah you know we got work to do i think that actually segues to the last way to 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 answer this whole voter fraud argument which is look the whole concept of america is that we have these free and fair elections and we've got just volunteers who go and do it and they spend a lot of time doing it and and i i would you know when people do it with me i just say look um you keep telling me how much you love america 
And yet you have a real problem with all these people who are running these elections. And you seem to think that America can't actually run them. Like, it doesn't feel like a very patriotic thing to yeah. be so opposed to voting. You know, it's like my favorite line. I've probably mentioned it a few times in this podcast from the American president. You claim to love America, but not Americans. Uh, and it continues to be as true now as it has ever been. Hi, Jason and Robbie. My name's Jennifer. I'm a fellow Missourian. I had a phone call with my mom earlier today about the election, and I was lamenting the fact that Biden did not win by a landslide. I just didn't understand how people could still support Trump. So many people could still support Trump after everything that he's done. And she told me, I think she was trying to make it make me feel better, but it backfired. She said that she had a lot of friends who absolutely hate Trump, who thought he was a horrible human being, but they voted for him anyway because he's Republican. And I told her, Mom, Trump is not a Republican. He's a fascist. And she said, well, he represents the Republican Party. And honestly, that just blows my mind. I think that, honestly, that those people might be worse than the diehard Trump supporters because they know better, because they know they're doing a horrible thing, supporting a horrible person, but they do it anyway because they believe that it somehow aligns with their own interests. I don't know what to say to these people. Uh, I mean, what is the line? What line would Trump have to cross for him to lose their vote? Are these people a lost cause? I, I honestly don't know how to respond to that. I'll give it a shot to start this thing off, which is there are actual Republicans, Mike Murphy being one of them with Arvat and the Lincoln Project, who are uh, conservatives and from a conservative perspective, using conservative values to critique Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that's really important. And I think it's going to turn out to be really effective when we look through the data uh, from what happened in this election. Uh, there was a, it seems, Trump turned out a lot of new voters uh, for him. But he lost a lot of his old voters, uh, suburban voters, uh, older voters who are conservative, small C conservative at the very least. And I think in places like Arizona, which I mentioned in particular, like uh, Flake, Cindy McCain, or in, in cases of like John Kasich and stuff like that, they were doing ads with him. Uh, that messaging works the best. And so what I would recommend to our caller is become a consumer of those media. Uh, Stuart Stevens's book, uh, The Lincoln Project. These are becoming powerhouse media outlets that are actually making a difference and learn the kind of messages that they're putting out there that actually reframe conservative values uh, to communicate with people who still are want to be Republicans, want to be conservatives, but don't like Donald Trump. What I took from this was the, the whole, uh, how is it possible that there are still so many people voting for, for Donald Trump, right? And what I think we have to be really careful about is um, realizing that a, really a lot of people are, and, and that doesn't validate it, that doesn't make it okay, but what we have to stop doing is, how can they vote for this terrible person? First of all, this election is over, and we've won it, so there's not a lot of point until, in, you know, if he runs again, which he might, then we'll worry about that. But really, we have to start winning the Democrat versus Republican argument, period. If you if you want these people not to vote for Donald Trump because he's a Republican, you've got to make these people not a Republican. And you've got to double down on the long and hard fought battle that it is to have these conversations over the course of a long, long time. Um, and so that's why I, I got a ton of 
you know, blowback for saying this on, uh, you know, because we put it on social, I said it on the pod, and we and we put it on social, which is where I heard all this stuff from everybody. Because I said a week ago, after we win this election, we've got to follow Joe Biden's lead. And we shouldn't just like, taunt the people we know in our lives who voted Republican, we shouldn't just in your face to your brother in law. And the reason for that is, is because what you're I'm not this is not a ma- people think that I'm somehow being soft on fascism or whatever. I'm I want to win future elections and I'm not trying to be soft on people. I'm saying that when you say to people, you are this thing and this thing is bad. If you tell people they are this thing over and over and over again, they'll believe you and they will re- they will retreat further into being that thing and they will think you are terrible and they want you to lose. So when I said invite them, I didn't, you know, people took that as invite them in no matter their views. No, we're talking about, hey, look, we just won this election. We're, we're going to do some great things. We're going to do great things on healthcare. We're going to do great things on racial justice. I think you might like some of them. I invite you to come and be a part of it. That's what we're talking about. And the only way you can do that is if you recognize that these people are there and they're human beings who live in this country and I get that a lot of people who listen to this may not know anybody like this, but I live around these people and uh, I, they're not, they can't be avoided. And, and, and I know people say, okay, that's a white privilege thing. No, a lot of my neighbors are not white and they can't avoid it either. And it's in everyone's interest to win more of these people to our side, to make them agree with us, not to be soft on them. So this is a long intro to the idea of saying, um, We've got to engage people directly on issues and tell our personal stories as to why we're about them, not give them the excuse uh, from now on of saying, well, I was against Trump, and then they still go and vote Republican. You, we've got to work to bring people to our side. Yeah, and you know, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but it's important to remember that we did make a lot of progress since the last election. You got to remember, um, when Trump was inaugurated, they had a trifecta. They had the presidency, they had the House of Representatives, and the Senate. Uh, and as we sit here today, uh, we are likely to get the presidency. We'll have a shot at the Senate, uh, and we continue to hold the House of Representatives. Uh, and so that's huge. Uh, we also will likely double or triple the the popular vote margin from Hillary. We'll have one back the upper Midwest. We'll have added two states potentially that Democrats don't really win in places, especially Georgia, a state that people had you know a lot of cynical people had written off, and and we're. If, if you're just using a war metaphor here, we have a, um, and I know this is a sensitive subject for Georgia in particular. Um, I'm not making any Sherman comparisons or anything, but we have a, uh, we have a huge, huge play in the South now, uh, and we're going to learn a lot through our experience of flipping Georgia and continuing to 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 politic there. And people like Stacey Abrams and and Sosa and uh, the people on her team are going to have a lot to share with the rest of the party about how to effectively win the South. Uh, and that's huge. And you could tell that the Republicans are scared of this because McConnell, who usually doesn't eat crow, usually doesn't seem scared, uh, even with, with his sort of reptilian uh, manner about him, came out and said, you know, we cannot continue to lose the suburbs like this. Uh, he knows. Uh, he also didn't say the other part out loud, which is um, if we're uh, as effective as possible, and, and Stacy and, and and her crew are particularly good at this. But there are groups uh, in Arizona that that um, are doing this particularly effective with the Latino community. Um, and turning out uh, 
the the core base of loyal Democratic voters, uh, which is not spoken about enough, um, and we and then we serve them properly and and give them representation in power. Uh, that's scary too. And when you look at Detroit turnout, if you look at Philly turnout, a lot of these places the turnout is astronomical. Uh, and even as Trump was turning out the most he possibly could have. Uh, we have the most uh, people come out to vote for a presidential candidate in American history. Uh, and Donald Trump is the second most in history, and that's just not going to be enough for him. And, and I think that's what people need to keep in mind is, is the whole idea of this show is, is two things. One, reminding people, even in the wake of the last election, which we lost, not like this one, which we've won, reminding people we're in the majority and, and, and to keep that morale up and to act like it. Yeah, you'd but think also, we're in the minority, though, if you look at this exactly. good commentary out there, both from our, our people and... The Republicans who, who almost are like, if I don't know, what do people want us to win by 15 points in order to have a mandate? You know, that's that's the problem is that I think people feel like if there are any people who still support the Republicans, then that's unacceptable. And and I got to tell you, most of those people live in places where there are no Republicans and they can't imagine the idea. And as somebody who lives in a place I, I live, I live in a state that went pretty handily for Trump. Right. Um, and I know people don't like to hear this. I got friends who voted for Trump and it is what it is. Like we have really lively conversations. Sometimes I get really angry and sometimes we go a while without talking, but I stay friends with them because I was friends with them before Trump and damn it, I'm not going to let him take away my friends. Uh, and you know, but yeah, we have sometimes tense moments. Like when they say something racist, I say that's racist and they get mad and we don't talk for a while. But what I'm trying to remind everybody of is I'm not saying it's a necessity when you live here. I'm saying people think that folks like me and like Stacy um, and, you know, others, they, they, I see it on social media all the time. They say it's a shame that they're stuck in a place like that. And what people don't understand is that one, the point of our lives is not to run for office, right? I'm very happy not running for office. Two, my kids are sixth generation Kansas Cityans. Like, this is my home. Georgia is Stacy's home, right? These places are not like where we chose to run for things. These are our homes. And so as a result, if we're going to recognize we have a majority in the country and expand that majority, we got to stay friends with these people and make them understand that America is about disagreeing and then coming together and learning from each other. And hopefully they learn a lot more from us. Now, the last thing I'll say about this is I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to defend people who voted for Trump, but I am going to tell people like, do me a favor, spend two days watching nothing but Fox News and doing it with as much as possible, trying to tell yourself this is news. Don't watch it like this is Fox News. Watch it and say, this is what's happening in the world. Try and imagine that this is the news to you. And if you do that, if you watch that kind of propaganda and no one has told you, all your neighbors have told you, this is the news, these are the facts, you would almost be unreasonable not to think that, you know, that there was something wrong with Joe Biden and the Democrats because you're told that by the news. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a question of where you were born and what your background is, is such a determinant. It's not an excuse for anybody, but it explains why, you know, 90 plus percent of people um, are what they are. Unfortunately, you could statistically model what people's beliefs are going to be. I happen to think that the listener base of majority 54 happens to contain a lot of the outliers. 
because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are living in communities that are overwhelmingly Republican uh, and, and want to have a forum to talk about how to talk, talk to those people in their lives. You know? Which is the whole idea of the pod, right? Which is Fox News is not going away. Fox News, by the way, the media is not causing the polarization. The media is a reflection of the polarization. Gerrymandering and the way primaries work, that creates a system that causes the politicians to talk to people in a certain way, and then the media meets them there because that's where they're consumers. We are the, as human beings, that's the only way we're breaking through Here, this, Here's the big puzzle. Other. Here's the big puzzle that I have, which is, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, is like, what do you validate and not like how do you have the conversation without validating it's like a chess game you know it's like i don't want to validate things that i think are false um i don't want to let hateful things go unchecked but i want to maintain relationships obviously everybody has a lot right there's certain things that people will say and do that i just that will that are unforgivable uh i think different people have different lines for that uh, but i remember visiting my grandfather uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, and this was must uh, must have been two years ago, so mid-Trump presidency, and, and he was just, as he was in the nursing home, uh, in his last days, is just watching that poison in Fox News. And, you know, it's, you see somebody who, even for my grandfather is a good example, when he met my father, who's an Indian man, he didn't accept him at first. Uh, and through having grandkids who are, who are of mixed race, he grew as a human being. Uh, and so that's the positive, and it's what part of the reason why I liked Obama and, and, and followed him was because of his optimism about the American spirit and his speech in Philly really spoke to me as somebody when he was talking about his grandmother. A lot of people felt that that was disrespectful. That was, that was his optimism, uh, and I, that's how I've seen a lot of people change. But the other part of it, and this is what I think a lot of people like either relearned post-Obama presidency down the Trump era or uh, had to learn for the first time, is that my grandfather's a perfect example. He did retrench in some ways, not to me as his grandson, but in general. Uh, if I wasn't his grandson, I think it wasn't completely solved, like what what sort of caused the tension between him and my dad in the first place. And so w mission isn't accomplished. And it's just where you draw that line, how you validate or not, that's the constant art of this. It's like, how do you have that conversation without like endorsing Fox News? Because it's like, yes, it, we have to accept that it exists, but it also is freaking poison, a lot of the shit that comes out of there. And it's like deciding what to check and what not to is, is constant balancing act. So I think it's just being the antidote, right? And it's just like that's – so I think that the big debate is whether or not there's some sort of moral righteousness in shunning everyone from your life who voted for Trump, which I guess, yeah, you can go that route. And, and it seems it's from my social media. It's easier for some people well, than the others, right? Like for me, it's my right. grandfather. It's my father. It's potentially my brother. Although like if you're listening, uh, Yuri, I don't know who you voted for. So I don't want to imply. Like, that's that's so hard. Like, you know, that's like my entire male side of the family. <laughs> like yeah, every you, male like member of my family. To me, it's like, yeah, okay. We could go the route of saying like Ravi can demonstrate his his moral righteousness and purity by not talking to the male members of his family anymore. Or he could say, you know what? I have an opportunity because they're related to me. They have no choice but to have a relationship with me. So I will continue to work on them. And and that's the thing. Like my neighbors who are conservative who talk to me or, or, or my friends who have been my friends since high school, uh, you know, or, or long before who they digest Fox news. Like, I can, ha yeah, it would be more pleasant for me, and I suppose it would make a, a, a virtuous moral statement for me to cut them off. But you know what? 
I think I'd rather keep the relationship, not always for me, but just for the idea of like, no, I'm not going to let them off that easy. I'm not going to let them just completely close themselves off to anybody who has a different view. No, they're going to continue to have this relationship with me and they're going to have to constantly confront the idea that they like me, they've always liked me, and I have a completely different set of views. And that's why I'm always telling people on this podcast to personalize it because the most powerful weapon we have in this country against Fox News and propaganda is your personal relationships with people who disagree with and us. And when we're not in election season, we don't have to talk about politics all the time. We don't have to talk about it at all. And so you could slip in the anchoring is what I call it. I'm sure I'm not the first one to call it that. But like one of the reasons why I even have an audience with people in my life, whether it's uh, the people who live in my neighborhood, who I, most of whom I, we continue to have mutual respect, all the way up to Buffalo suburbs where I have a lot of friends out there. And, and the reason why when I go up to Buffalo Bills games, I always have a group of people I can see who have different politics with me is because they saw different things in me outside of politics that we that we all bonded over, you know, whether it was running schools uh, and, and people admiring that or me showing up for them me calling them when when they're sick or when they're down and I don't have to call them about politics. And so you do that enough and you see enough people, you make a difference. But I think the problem that a lot of people have, and I would be one of them, is that we're not all living next to each other anymore. You're an exception. A lot of our listeners are exceptions. But when you see those bright red districts getting more and more red and those blue districts getting more and more blue, it's because people are self-selecting into communities that are ideologically homogenous. And it's becoming harder and harder for people like our listeners to hang on. Like there's, uh, you know, shout out to Megan from Staten Island, who's one of our listeners who sent me a message. And she was just like, you don't know how hard it is to be in the South Shore of Staten Island and be a progressive. It is freaking hard. Um, and I'm getting messages like that constantly. And I think part of it is like, go back home. You know, you said that at the first arena summit, go back home, run from there. Um, you know, Brooklyn will be fine. That's where I was born. We'll be okay. Like, you know, Brooklyn, Manhattan will be all right. You know, we need people to go back to Staten Island. We need people to go to Liberty, Missouri, you know? Yeah. You got to be an ambassador and you got to take it as a, as a, as a, a duty. So, all right. We, I don't think we have time for any other voicemails. I think We've this is good. I'm glad such, we got this over because awesome. we don't actually talk about this stuff enough. And it's like, it's on my mind every day. Uh, and I think it's a big part of, you know, when I went home yesterday, it, it was all I was thinking about was like, you know, I'm in or out here. I can't be a tourist in my own community. Like I've got to be, I got to be here or not. And I can't just use it as this kind of calling card to say like, I've got bona fides because I have uh, conservative people in my life. It's like, what does it mean to be in my life? If I'm not seeing them every day, does, does that even matter anymore? Uh, and so that's the big question. Well, it's what kills me about, you know, this thing where people are like, no, no, if anybody voted for Trump, like cutting them out of my life. Okay, I guess. Um, but if if we were a religion and not a party, uh, and you were trying to grow it, which is a Jew, like we're not, we're not particularly evangelistic. Yeah, but I like, know. You turn us away, don't you? Isn't that yeah. part of the... <laughs> but like, that's the thing. Like, you're not going to grow anything by just shunning everybody who, who disappointed you. Um, and, and by the way, also like those people, like if they continue to believe that, they're going to continue to hurt people who... We care about and we care about them as well so you have to engage them like that's it's missionary but work. what does it also mean to be a country like if we're a country right. like we know for sure 40 to 43 percent of voters and 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 you could you could round it down if you think it's it's less for non-voters although this election might challenge that assumption uh we might just be in a 45 55 country 
uh, we've got to serve in schools together, the military, the police force, and we have families together. So if a family member's sick, we got to work together to, to help that family member. That's what it means to be an American right now. And some of us have different burdens than others. So you and I and, and others uh, who are listening to this, might that might be a burden. Other people's burden is being more the victim of the bad policies that our family members support. And I am I don't want to in any way skate by that because that's huge. And that means that those of us who do have those family members can't get too comfortable, you know, and we've got to constantly use the, the positions that we have to challenge the people in our lives because they're real victims of the shit that people we love are supporting. I'll end it here. Like, by engaging with these people and keeping them in your life, you're not giving quarter to white supremacy. You're trying to save people from their own white supremacy. You're trying to save people from, and you're trying to save the people they'll hurt, and you're trying to save these people from falling victim to this ideology. And that there's nothing uh, to be ashamed of in that. So uh, this was really fun. Anything to add here, Ravi? Well, I think if you're there on the Instagram live, shoot us DMs if there's anything you're like, hey, this, because this is not the kind of content we normally talk about. So if you're like, hey, this was helpful or this was not, I, I really want to hear because, you know, we don't usually go to this sort of, we, we, we kind of have shorter bits on this kind of stuff. This We're fired up. We're really fired up and ready to go. We're fired up. Uh, all right. Uh, hopefully they call this and I can drink this beer that I've been waiting. You just drink it anyway. You've earned it. You've earned it. Yeah, I may just because I don't want to drink it in the morning. Yeah. I mean, it'd be weird. My first drink of alcohol in 11 months is in the morning. That's you know, something wrong with that. Um, all right. All right. Hey, uh, remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.